Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. If you have your Bibles, I invite your attention into the Word of the Lord to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I want to read a couple of verses of Scripture there and then Romans chapter number 4 and verse 21. First of all, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is there among you of all his people. The Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. I want you to bear in mind who is speaking here. The Bible tells us that in verse 23, this is Cyrus, king of Persia. This is not a king of Israel or a king that is over the southern kingdom of Judah, particularly in this time period. But this is the king of Persia, yet He's saying what the Lord has revealed to him that he is to do. Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, promised. Has anybody in this place experienced any promises of late from the Lord that you want to see and desire to see fulfilled in your life? Would you just wave your hand? Amen. What he had promised, he was well able to perform. And I simply want to preach for the next few moments from this thought, the keeper of promises, the keeper of of promises. I want the Lord to help us today. We need His help. We need and must have His anointing. And would you pray with me right now that the Lord would touch us here today and strengthen us through His Word. God, we're thankful for the opportunity to be here in Your house, to feel after Your presence, to experience the touch of Your anointing as a very sacred and hallowed experience. And we're thankful, God, that we have this opportunity to lift up your name and to praise you, but to receive from you also. And I pray, God, that every person here under the sound of my voice would be able to receive something of strength and help from the Word of God today. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. 
And would you praise the Lord with me and let's give thanks to the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give him a little bit more praise. Praise God. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Life has a way of testing people with the toughest of constitutions and trying those that possess the greatest of faith among us. If you'll allow me this morning, I just want to take a few moments and perhaps lay some groundwork here. And it may seem as though I'm I'm coming off from a negative perspective, but uh, believe me, before I am through, I hope through the Word of God to be able to come around to a very positive message. We often describe our spiritual journeys by saying that life and living for God even has its hills and its valleys. Someone probably better described it as saying it's really more like a roller coaster. There's a slow, long, hard climb to the top and then a short, violent drop to the bottom. And that's perhaps the way life is or it can be at times. There are situations in life that no matter how much you believe, no matter how much you trust God or how strong your faith in God and His Word is, there are times when the souls of all men and all women that are living for God are going to be tested. Many of us in this place knows what it is to be tested. It's scriptural that we be tested, that our faith be tested. And I cannot go into all the reasons in my time allotted here this morning for that testing, but suffice it to say that trials, as the scripture says, will come. And uh, we know that there is going to be times when we are going to feel tested. Even the great patriarchs of the Word of God, men that we aspire to their faith, men that we look to as examples, men and women of God that were so strong to see God work through their lives. Their their spiritual walk was tested at times. And we get to read of those examples in the Word of God. There are three things that can take place in a person's life that will challenge their resolve and even, even the most strong, even the most faithful, and even the most diligent individual sometimes can be challenged by these things. One of those times is when the things that we, should, we believe should never happen, happen. How many has ever had a situation like that? Something that you felt like should never happen to you, that you did not deserve, it happened. And second, another time is when what I believe should happen never happens. And then, of course, the one that I feel that is the most difficult of all is those times that we feel things should happen now. And they happen at a later time. So all of us go through times and periods of our lives when we wonder 
Why the delay? Why does it seem like this is not coming through to fruition? Why is it that my prayers have not been immediately answered? Why not now? And then, if, if only this had happened differently or had not happened at all, and we struggle and we grapple with these things because our faith, though it is rooted and it's grounded in the Word of God, it is often assaulted by the enemy and even life itself. But this morning, I want to preach to you a very simple message that I feel like the Lord has laid upon my heart for this particular time. And that is, no matter how dark the valley, no matter how hard the path, no matter how rough the road, no matter how great the challenge, no matter how tough the test, I believe if you can get a grasp or a hold of this simple principle from the Word of God, it will help you to overcome every obstacle that comes against you in life. And that is simply that God always, always, somebody say always, God always keeps His promises. It may not happen how I think it's going to happen. It may not happen when I think it should happen. But God, if He promised it, I promise you that it will come to pass. You can bank on that. You can trust in God. You can depend upon Him. You don't have to doubt that. No matter what anybody else has told you, no matter what the enemy tries to whisper in your ear, no matter what it appears like at this moment, no matter what your past experiences have been, if He has promised it, He's a keeper of His promise. And His Word is true. And you can stand upon His Word. I think we ought to pause for a moment and give some praise to the Lord. Give some thanks to Him that He's a keeper of His promises. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament is, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness. You can't depend on all men is what it's trying to say. And really, you cannot use the word of men and try to make it comparable to the Word of God because it cannot be compared. The Word of God is going to stand when heaven and earth passes away, the Bible says. And I used to look at that and say, well, what does that mean, heaven and earth? Is that talking about uh, that eternal place where we're going when it passes away? What it's saying is the heavens and the earth may pass away. That means what we are living in right now, this atmosphere that you and I are in, this terra firma that we stand upon and all the atmosphere that surrounds us, it's going to pass away. The Bible said it's going to melt with a fervent heat. But when all of it is said and done, the Word of God is still true. When, when everything else, amen, is over with and time is no more, the Word of God is still true. And you can still bank on it. Hallelujah. In fact, God will do whatever He must do to keep His promise. If it means stopping the sun at high noon so that Joshua and his armies can be victorious over their enemies, God always keeps His promise. If it's an east wind that must blow and part the waters of the Red Sea so 
that the people of God can walk over on dry ground and escape their Egyptian taskmasters. God always keeps His promise. If it means a swollen Jordan that is at flood stage, the current is going to be abated and the waters are going to pile up and God's people are going to be able to walk over and enter into the promised land. God always keeps His promise. If hailstones have to fall from the heavens upon Israel's enemies, God always keeps His promise. If He has to cause fire to fall on a water-drenched sacrifice in order to keep His Word, God always keeps His promise. If He has to cause fear and confusion uh, to discontent the hearts and grip the hearts of the enemies of Gideon, and his 300 so that they can be victorious. God always keeps his promise. If it takes an earthquake to deliver two apostolic preachers, Paul and Silas, out of the inner prison of the Philippi jail, God always keeps his promise. If he has to dispatch an angel to unlock prison doors and to awaken Peter in the prison house and bring him out, God always keeps his promise. The laws of nature cannot contradict it. The will of man cannot stop it. The powers of hell cannot hinder it. God always keeps his promises. You can take it to the bank. You can write it in your little book. God is going to stand true to his word. Amen. You can just prepare for it because God is a keeper of his promises. Oh, clap your hands and let's give praise. And I suppose nothing illustrates this any greater than this little story that I read to you from in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. To give you a little backdrop of this particular text so that you'll understand it, we know that the northern kingdom several years before this had split off from the southern kingdom and there was two tribes in the southern kingdom that were still surrounding and the capital city, of course, was Jerusalem. And this was a hub of worship. This was a place that the people of God would come and worship and... and uh, and they uh, would perform their sacrifices and they would give their uh, adoration unto God. And so it was a very important thing. But Judah had become carnal. And uh, they had continually been involved in backsliding. And it was something that had went on for a period of several years, hot and cold. And if you follow their history, you understand this was something that was perpetually taking place. They would... Uh, at one point be on fire for God and at another point uh, they would be in an all-time low and, and it seemed like the influences of peoples around them would, would seep in to the nation of Judah and God was watching very closely this and His mercy uh, for them he, he, wanted to, he wanted to, of course, uh, have a people that lived for Him righteously and faithfully and worshipped Him only and uh, these people continued to vacillate and go back and forth. And finally God had had enough. And he prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah uh, that there would be a time of captivity that they would enter into of 70 years. 
they would go into captivity. And God was using this period of time as a time of judging their actions and a time of endeavoring to get their attention and stir them up and cause them to turn back to Him. And that in and of itself could take a few moments of, of preaching. You know, sometimes God allows things in our lives to, to get us back to the prayer room, to get us back to dedicating our lives to Him, to get us back to fresh commitments and get us back to the place where we're living for Him as we should and, and we're focused upon the things that we should be focused upon. But these people had been so distracted with other things that God had to do something drastic to get their attention. And so uh, the Scripture says that they were carried away into captivity to Babylon. And this was a very dreadful thing. These people had not experienced anything like this since they had been delivered from Egypt and and this was a generation of folks that had always felt like God is on our side and so uh, there's no enemy that can really come against us that that will ever be able to overcome us but nevertheless God had said you're going to be led away into captivity and while they were there in captivity of course there were many miracles that transpired and took place we read about them in the book of Daniel and how that God would shut the mouths of lions and how that God would allow uh, the fervent heat of the fervent, uh, furnace to not be able to burn the three Hebrew children uh, when they were cast into it for not bowing to the idol uh, when the music was played. And there's several things in the story that inspires us of people that refuse to capitulate that refused to compromise their convictions, even in this time of captivity. And so it would last for a period of time, even as the prophet had said, it's going to last for a certain amount of time, and then I am going to bring you out. And during this period of time, Babylon was overthrown by the Persians. And there was a king that arose to power by the name of Cyrus, who was king of the Persians. And uh, historians tell this story of the text this way. They say that he looked upon the lands that he had conquered and the land of Judah where these people had came from and how that it was basically a wasteland. But there was many resources that were there that could be used to build up his kingdom. And if, if uh, it was worked, it could add to the wealth of his kingdom. And so he began to think, how could I harness manpower to go down there and to till the ground and plant the seed and to raise crops and, and to raise sheep and flocks and cattle in order for this land to produce and to give back to me and to my kingdom. And so he had this very brilliant idea. Historians say that he woke up one day and said, Well, I am going to send these people that love this land. Who better to send to work the land than the people that love this land so dearly? I'm going to send them down to Judah, send them back to the place that they have been brought out of, and I'm going to let them restore it. I'm going to let them work the ground. I'm going to let them use the resources that are there. And I can glean from it. That's what historians say. But that's not how it was. 
Because according to the word of God, Cyrus was not doing these things as a result of his own ideas. Cyrus was not attempting to do these things as an act of his own will. But the word of God tells us that there came a day that the spirit of the Lord moved upon the heart of Cyrus and his spirit was stirred up. That's what the Bible says. God has a way of stirring up people and using people. Sometimes folks that we feel like could never be used, uh, God even sometimes uses enemies uh, to get his will done and to get his work accomplished. Uh, God sometimes uses things that we could never dream that he would use in order to get our attention. Uh, But whatever he has to do to keep his promise, that's what he will do. And that's exactly what happened in this text. How did he stir up Cyrus? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Someone, maybe a servant, came in and began to read out of the prophet Isaiah chapter 44, verses 24 through 28. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, and turneth wise men backward, and maketh their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited." And to the cities of Judah ye shall be built. I will raise up the decayed places thereof that saith to the deep, be dry. I will dry up thy rivers that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple. Thou found, thy foundation shall be laid. And when the scribe or the servant or whomever it was read these words to Cyrus, I can see him stopping suddenly and saying, wait, 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 wait just a minute. Is, is that my name that he is saying there? I, I, I seem to have heard you use my name, Cyrus. Cyrus is going to be my shepherd and he is going to perform my pleasure. Is that my name? Well, let me ask you a question. When was this written about me? I said, well, it's over a hundred years ago that it was written. You mean, you mean before I was ever born, this was written? That one of their prophets prophesied that I was I wasn't even the one that brought the people of Israel into captivity. I wasn't the one that carried them away out of Judah. It was it was the Babylonians that carried them away into captivity. I'm a Persian. I'm the king of the Persian people. 
but but I overthrew uh, Persia, and God knew that I would be. Are you telling me that He knew I would be sitting on the throne and be in power, and these people would be under my hand and my command and under my authority? Is that what you're telling me? That's exactly what I'm telling you. That God knew your name, Cyrus, uh, before you were ever born. God knew what you were going to be able to do before you were able to make the choice to do it. Uh, that God looked through at time down to where you were and said, there's a day coming that I'm going to use you like a puppet on a string to set my people free and lead them back to Jerusalem. So what you better do, Cyrus, is you better align yourself to a God that keeps His promise. You better align yourself to His Word and see His promise fulfilled. If He knew before you was ever born that you would be sitting on that throne and you would have that crown upon your head and that scepter in your hand then you ought to have enough sense to realize that he's going to keep his promise with or without you you better get on the same page as a God that keeps his promise you better align yourself to a God that keeps his promise you better realize that God is in control of everything he's orchestrating all of this that he knows the end from the beginning you're a part of his story and you're going to work according to his will oh somebody understands what I'm talking about here this morning why don't you lift up your voice and let's give praise to the name of the Lord what are you trying to say to the people that were in captivity it looked like Judah was a wasteland it looked like a dry place that could never be restored that would never recover that would never be built up again there will never be a temple back in Jerusalem again there will never be a place for us to worship there again it looks like amen that the ruins of Jerusalem will never be a majestic city again it will never happen it will never be built up oh don't doubt God. Don't doubt His promise. His word says that He's going to stir up a Persian king. Amen. He's going to cause him to send you back. He's going to give you the materials and the authority and the ability to build it up again. I've come to tell somebody that God always keeps His promise. You could stand on the promises of the word of God and know with a surety that He cannot and will not fail. Amen. If God gave you a promise, hold on, my brother. It doesn't matter what it looks like right now. God's going to keep his promise. If God gave you a promise, sister, it doesn't matter what it appears like in your life at the moment. Hang on. God always keeps his promise. Oh, somebody ought to give him some real praise right now. Hallelujah. 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 No matter how dead it looks, how dry it is. He said the same one that causes the rivers to dry up can help them to bubble up and spring up again. The same one that caused it to be torn down can cause it to be built 
back up. The same one that allowed it to, to be destroyed can allow it to, to be restored. I'm telling somebody, don't give up on revival for your family. Don't give up on revival for your household. Don't give up on revival for your own personal life. God always keeps his promise. God is not slack concerning his promise, the New Testament writer said. Amen. You can remain standing. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. You know, Ezekiel had his own had his own way of describing some of these events. He said, the Lord lifted me up and set me down in a valley. And he said, I looked around, and it was dry there. Matter of fact, he said, very dry. And there was bones like there had been a, a great army there at one time, and maybe there had been a battle. The remnants of that battle, the soldiers that had fallen in that battle, the army that had been conquered in that battle there, Their dead was still, the remnants, the bones, the skeletal remains were still there, scattered out across that valley. As I surveyed the situation, it looked like a hopeless cause. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Son of man, can these bones live? Son of man, can these bones live? I kind of like Ezekiel's answer. He didn't try to pontificate. He didn't try to speak from a human standpoint. He didn't try to go down to the local library and pull out and check out a Grey's Anatomy and say, let me see, let me see. Uh, let me try to put all this back together again. Let me, let me, let me see if this is going to work from my standpoint. No, he didn't do that. He simply said, thou knowest. If your word says, I said, if your word says it, and if you promised it, there's no sense in us trying to doubt it. Amen. Thou knowest. If you will it to be, it's going to happen. If you want it to happen, in other words, it's going to happen. Thou knowest. I may not know, but you know. Amen. It's in your word. It's been promised. And you intend to fulfill it. I may not be able to see how it's going to happen. I may not know how you're going to put it all together. I may not know how you're going to put flesh on these bones and, and put a heart beating back in, in these uh, in, in these in these bones and these skeletal remains, but I know that if your word says it, it's going to happen. Thou knowest. Praise God. Because he's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. For the promises of God are yea and amen. What did our text said? It said, fully persuaded that he that promised was well able to perform it. God always comes through for his promise.
So, so let's look at a couple of those promises before we open up these altars. For the person that is fearful of the attack of the enemy, Isaiah has an answer for you in 54 and 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. That is a promise from the Word of God. It doesn't matter what the devil comes up with. No matter how he contrives and no matter how he tries to to come again, no matter how his efforts and how forceful they are, no matter what it is, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That's the Word of God. That's a promise of the Word of God. That's the hope of the Word of God. Amen. For that person that feels all alone, the, the Bible said in Deuteronomy 31, 6, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, He is He that goeth with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. That is a promise from the word of God for the person that wonders if God can answer your prayer 1 John chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything some things just just don't get too don't don't get too far out don't don't ask him for too much. You know he's only able to do so much. You know, you gotta, you got to be rational about it. No, the Bible said if we ask anything according to his will. That's the key. you got to get in the Word. you got to understand what is the will of God. He heareth us. And if we know that He hears us, uh, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition the petitions that we desire of Him. Amen. In other words, He will fulfill the prayer request, the petition that we bring to Him if we pray in faith and according to the Word of God. Amen. I want to to understand something today that I have a promise that He is a prayer-answering God. That ought to make somebody shouting happy this morning. That ought to make somebody thrilled in your heart to understand that I'm not just speaking out into the wind. I'm not just up here wasting my time when I'm praying. I'm not just saying words that fall on deaf ears. I'm not just saying words that hit heaven and bounce back. Oh no! But when I pray, He's answering my prayers. He's working. It may not happen in my time. It may not happen when I'd like them to. It may not happen how I'd like it to. But He's working. He's working. He's working. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Is there somebody that wants to claim a promise today? Is there somebody that wants to come to this front this morning? Raise your hands and say, God, I once again come and believe and claim the promises of the Lord and stand on the promises of God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, come on, lift up your voice to Him. Say, God, you promised me. Come on, it's time to bring that promise back up in prayer. It's time to once again recount the promise that God gave you. Be reminded of it and say, God, I'm believing that today, today you're going to fulfill. I'm believing, God, I'm not backing off. I'm not giving up. I'm not, I'm not yielding 
to the doubts and the fears and, and that spirit of unbelief that tries to tempt me. I'm not yielding to that, but I'm standing on your word and I'm staying with it. Amen. I'm standing on your promise today. You're a keeper of your promises. You're a keeper of your promises. God, you knew before I ever got to this point how it was going to unfold and what was going to happen. And so you're going to take care of me. You're going to watch over me. Nothing catches you off guard. Amen. You know where I'm at. You're going to keep your promises.